Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Hey, this morning we're here to uh, just gather around the Word of God. We're here to um, just uh, enjoy being in the Word together. And can I just say, um, today's going to be a good one. And I don't just say it because I'm preaching this morning. I'm, I'm saying it because we're, we're in, a, in a passage of Scripture that is going to just speak uh, right into the life of our church and right into your life. Um, and so, so we're just excited where God is going um, to bring us this morning. We're ending our Valleys series, God of the Valley. And um, we're ending in the Valley of Jezreel, talking about the character that we find in Scripture of Gideon. And so uh, as, we, as we go there, um, we're going to be in Judges chapter 6 and 7 today. Um, you can uh, go ahead and flip there in your Bible. And while you do, let's just, let's just pray that God would just speak, speak His Word to us. Father, we, um, we're thankful for Your Word. We're thankful that, uh, God, we can... And just uh, be able to preach it, to declare it, and to hear it, God. God, as, as we hear it today, would you just breathe life into it? Would you just show us your perfect will in regards to um, just how you want us to respond to it? God, this was given to us in Scripture as an example to us that we might follow after it. So God, would you just open up your word this morning to us and bless us with it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, hey, um, as I said, we are getting to uh, talk about the character of Gideon today in Judges chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there to Judges chapter 6. And uh, here we meet this man, Gideon. All right? So Gideon, we're going we're gonna to read a lot of scripture this morning, and we're going to make a lot of application to us as a church. All right? So if you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right, that's good to hear. Verse 11 of Joshua chapter 6, that's where we're starting. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Let me just tell you about what's going on as we open up God's word today. Gideon, he is a farmer. And during this period of time of the judges, a lot of the people of Israel, God's people, had turned away from, from the Lord. And as a result, uh, sometimes I, I like to refer to it as the velvet vice of grace. God allowed enemy nations to come in and uh, to basically cap- captivate them and, and steal their land, take away their pride, and um, bring them through a hard time that they might depend upon him. And this is where we find Gideon. Gideon is one man who is still following the Lord, while many of his friends have decided to go their own way and follow the gods of the nations around them. And we're introduced here to their enemy, the Midianites. For seven long years, the Israelites had planted their crops, they had cultivated them, they had harvested their crops, and then the Midianites came in and they stole them all. They decimated their land, they stole their livestock, and basically anything of value that they could find. That's what's going on here as we look in Judges chapter 6. And here, Gideon is found in a wine press. Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. Who here has threshed wheat before? Anybody threshed wheat? Yeah, a couple of you. Okay, all right. So, so, so if you know the process of threshing wheat, you'll also know that threshing wheat in a wine press doesn't work. Okay? Ever, ever remember that episode of I Love Lucy? If you're old enough, where Lucy's in that wine press, chomp, stepping on those grapes, and then she falls in it and falls, you know, she just gets covered. That's a wine press, okay? That's not a good place to thresh wheat. You need to be up on top of a hill 
where there is wind that's blowing because you're, you're going to beat out this wheat so that the bad part can blow away, leaving the, the, the actual kernel of the wheat, the seed of the wheat, to fall to the ground, okay? If you're in a wine press, you're not going to have that action happening. And so here's, here's, here's Gideon. He's in a wine press. He's hiding from the Midianites because he's fearful that they're going to see this food and they're going to come and steal it. And do, do who knows what to him as well, okay? And that brings us to verse 12. Because here we see an angel of the Lord appear to Gideon. It says this, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Some of your translations say, O mighty warrior, okay? While Gideon is doing what he is doing, God appears to him. Mighty warrior, this angel says. Mighty warrior to the weakling, to the weakest among them. Okay? I don't know if you've had this experience before where someone like someone someone starts waving at you and, and you're like, are they are they waving at me? And you, you wave back only to find out <laughs> it's the person behind you, right? Yeah, I, I, I've had that happen. It's, it's just awkward. And I'm sure Gideon, at this point, he's like, huh? Like, are you talking to, who are you talking to? You talking to me? You talking to me? Seriously? He's got questions. Verse 13. Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? He's, he's looking around at his, you know, what's happened to his nation. He's wondering, where, where's our God? And where all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Now at this point, things are getting even more confusing. Not only did we have mighty warrior... But we have, go in this might of yours. What kind of might is he talking about? He's got questions. This is is really strange. What kind of might? And and so Gideon responds. He said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. I am the least in my father's house. That's verse 15. By his own admission, what he says is, I am the weakest and I am the least. And so Gideon here, he's he's talking himself down. And and maybe, maybe this is what people said about him. And maybe this is what he said to himself. Can I just say, what people say about you? And what people and, and, and what you tell yourself has a huge impact on your own self-image. And, and I'll just give some examples. We, we do this all the time. We give, we give ourselves we, we give ourselves false narratives, right? And, and, and a lot of times it's based upon the family that we grew up in, maybe how you know the things that, that we were raised with. Some of you have this false narrative and you tell yourself, "I'll never be good with money." Some of you say, I'll never be a talented person. I'm not very talented. Or I'll never be athletic. Or I'll never be in shape. I'll never lose weight. I could never lead at that level. I could never run my own business. I could never start something like that. I'm not a good father. These are lies. False narratives that we sometimes tell ourselves. Maybe I haven't hit you, but just pick out your own, okay? No one likes me. I'm a failure. Let's just, let's just for a second, can we, can we just be real for a moment? Because I recognize that I have the same kind of false narratives that I've told myself. Can I tell you about them? Looking back on my own life, I realized that there were some things that were said to me and some things that I told myself that have impacted my own self-image and my own confidence. And, and I, I could reach all way, way back to childhood, but I'm going to start in, in junior high and high school. What I told myself in junior high and high school is this, you're not smart enough. 
and I had proof. I had a report card. I got B's and C's, and, and, uh, and you know, it wasn't like I got F's all the time, but, but in comparison to a lot of the other students, what it told me was, you're not that bright. You're not exceptional. You're, you're only going to ever get average results, B's and C's. You know what that developed in me? This mindset that I, I'm, I'm only going to be average, not to expect for great things. When I got to college, I told myself, you're not talented enough. And I actually held myself back from, from joining, joining a campus band, from, from leadership roles and some, some groups that I was a part of. I told myself, you're, you're, not, um, you're, you're not up to snuff. You don't measure up. Okay, some, some of you guys can identify with this, right? I, uh, God blessed us in 2009. We came to this church. And uh, this was First Baptist Church of Payton City, an independent, fundamental Baptist church, okay? We were hymn singing, skirt wearing, King James only, basically, okay? Some of you guys remember those days, right? Some of you? Very few of you, okay? There's, there's a few of you left, and we praise God for you. You stuck it out, okay? <laughs> but this is a very different church. Can I just tell you that? A very different church from what we do today. And after nine months after we came the senior pastor had moral failure, and we had to ask him to resign. And this was, this was just a really difficult time. There was no money in our bank account. Um, there was a cloud over this ministry. And here I am, 22 years of age, with Precious and baby Zoe. Okay, <laughs> think about it. That's a long time ago, baby Zoe. And I had people telling me, as we're trying to just be faithful here at this ministry, Jonathan, you should, you should be our pastor. You know what I told myself? You're too young. You don't have the experience. You're the weakest. You know, I, I would go to pastor's conferences during that time. And, uh, you know, I, I remember feeling kind of like a loner as a pastor <laughs> Because I, didn't, I don't look like other pastors, a lot of other pastors. There's a lot more, more that maybe look like me today. But back then, man, pastors were usually at least 10 years older to 20 years older. They were highly educated. They, 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 uh, I'd see them at pastor's conferences, and they'd wear their full suit and tie and, and dress, dress pants and, and, uh, and you know, dress shirt. And, and here I am wearing my T-shirt and a ball cap. <laughs> And those of you that know me, just that's, that's who I am, okay? You know what I told myself? You don't fit in. You don't fit in with them. Um, because I had never been to, um, to cemetery, I, I mean seminary. <laughs> you don't have the education that they have. And so, so, I, so I told myself, you, you just don't, you don't fit in. Can I tell you, in that first year of being, being uh, 2000, uh, 2010, I did seven funerals in this church from people, from people that were part of our body. I'll, I'll tell you, I've been to cemetery, <laughs> okay? In 2018, this is a pain point, I, I cast a vision along with our elders to change our name to Valley Church. We spent months and months preparing for this. We had many conversations in preparation for it. We were all ready to launch out as Valley Church. But you know what happened? Someone all say just poisoned the well. Someone got on their phone, started calling all the members of the church that have been here a long time to vote no, to say no. Don't let this pass. Don't let it happen. And it came to a church vote, and, um, and what happened was that they voted no by majority. And, and so that is what it is, but what was the most painful was that this person at the end of that meeting came up to me, and they said to me, this is my church, and you need to go back to Canada. Okay? Okay. And I, I, can, I can remember, man, I, okay, I'm fine, I'm okay, I'm okay. 
But I can remember just struggling even more with pastoral insecurity and, and giving myself this, this, these negative, you know, negative narrations, these negative stories of you don't measure up. No one will ever want to follow you. You're not a good leader. Um, you're a failure. You're the weakest. You identify with this, I'll tell you. I deal with pastoral insecurity. I do. And I, I also would say I deal with imposter syndrome. Some of you guys understand that in your career. It's a real thing, okay? It's okay. But I will remind you this. Satan will solicit and he will elicit lies to discourage you. And sometimes he will use even well-meaning Christians to do this. Because that's how Satan works. I know you have your own insecurities. Like I do. You can name them off. You could go through your list and, and you could give yourself all that negative self-talk. Back to Gideon. Gideon, he said, I'm the weakest. And I'm the least. Church, I, I want to just remind you, God does not see you the way that you see you. God does not see you the way you see you. Gideon did not have might. He did not have power. He did not have riches or fame or experience, but he did have something. He had weakness. He had weakness. God saw the weakest among the Israelites, and he said, that I can use. That man I can use. 1 Corinthians 1.27 is something that goes along with us. It helps us explain God's heart. He said, it said this, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. I believe God wants to wake up some weak warriors in our church today. He does. He does, especially those of you who do not see yourself as warriors because you don't have to be the biggest, you don't have to be the baddest, you don't have to be the best, but you have to be something. You have to be the boldest. You have to be the boldest. What you don't need is, is, is uh, you have to be secure, not in who you are, but in whose you are. You have to be secure, not in who you are, but in whose you are. You get that? You don't need more self-confidence. You need more God confidence. Okay, so this is not a pump-up speech, like you need to just get with it and, and have more confidence. No, God used the weakest. God used that someone that did not have confidence for his glory. Joshua 6, 16. Here's how God responded to Gideon. Keep on reading. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. God's promise to Gideon is actually God's promise to you. You remember what Jesus said as he was ascending into heaven? He said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That's what God's promises to us. When you ask God, can you really use me? God's answer will be, I will be with you. I will be with you. And so as we move on to chapter 7, we're going to just skip the rest of, of chapter 6, move on to chapter 7. I want to just, just go there because after a whole lot of convincing, Gideon decides to answer God and lead his people into battle. This farmer turned warrior he answers God's call. He was the boldest, even though he was the weakest. And as we read 7 verse 1, it says this. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early, and they encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the, and the camp of Midian was north of them, by the hill country of Moriah in the valley. Now, as we, um, as we consider this first verse in chapter 7, what, what we know is that this battle was going to take place in a valley. And if you look at, uh, if you look at the maps, this is, this is actually known as the Valley of Jezreel. 
the Valley of Jezreel. This is a 141 square mile triangle in the north central part of Israel. And this valley actually has a lot of history. Not only do they refer to it as the breadbasket of Israel even today, but this, this valley had a lot of battles fought within it. And there is a battle that is still to come that will be fought in the valley of Jezreel. And that is the battle of Armageddon. And so as we think about this, this battle that is about to take place with Gideon, we, we need to also remember that there is a future battle that's going to take place in an greater, even greater way. And you can study that in Scripture in, in the book of Revelation. But what happens here in this text is that Gideon, he amasses an army of 32,000 soldiers. And we may think that's a lot. That's a huge army. But in comparison to the army of the Midianites, this was puny. They were outnumbered four to one because the Midianite army was made up of 120,000 enemy soldiers. And I'm sure as Gideon approached this valley, he thought, this is crazy. This is insane. But you know what God did? He spoke to Gideon. Verse 2, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many. Did I read that right? The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand. Too many men? That's outrageous. Too many men. How do we have too many men? That does not make sense. Listen to, listen to the Lord's explanation though. Lest Israel boast over me saying, my own hand, save me. Gideon, your army is too big. Because even though they're outnumbered four to one, they still could boast that they were just stronger or they had a better strategy, and that's why they won. God is all about his glory. And so he had to narrow this army down. It says in verse 3, Now therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned. And 10,000 remained. Two-thirds of Gideon's army leaves. They're gone. They're, they're afraid. They're scaredy cats. They also leave. And it, it's, it's not going well for Gideon. He's left with just 10,000 men against 120. Now it's 12 to 1 is the odds. Verse 4, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom, whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men. But the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you. And give the Midianites into your hand, and let the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he said to the rest of, the, of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. I'm sure, what, what do you think Gideon's thinking at this point? God, are you just, have you just lost it? Are you just completely crazy? Because I, I had an army of 32,000 men, and now I only have 300. And all that these men have going for is that they can drink politely? I mean, seriously, God, what, what, what's the benefit here? Okay, just to give you a little perspective. I added up the population of Wetzel, Wetzel County, Tyler County, and Pleasance County, and that totals about 32,000 people. 
It would have been like God telling all the people of the county just to leave and him leaving just Valley Church and the people they call Valley Church their home if we had everybody here, right? It had been like that. That was basically the odds that we had left. Everybody go home. I'm going to just keep the weakest. I'm going to keep the polite drinkers. That's who I'm going to keep. A small band of misfits. God says, that's who I'm going to use. That's who I'm going to use. Keep it going to verse 9. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise and go against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. If you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. Can I just tell you, sometimes you don't understand what God is asking you to do, and he understands your fear. And so in order to encourage Gideon, he tells Gideon, I want you to go down. I have have something that I want to encourage you by. Go down into the camp, which would have been a scary thing in and of itself. But they go down. And God has something special for Gideon here in the camp. Verse 11, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Verse 12, And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels without number, and and as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. This is massive. And when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and it turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. Well, the comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon the son of Joash, the man of Israel, God has given his hand, God has given into his hand Midian and all in the camp. Let's just talk about this dream for a second. The Midianite soldier, he, he dreamed a dream about a, a loaf of bread. <laughs> he, t- he, he, he dreamed in his mind about a loaf of bread tumbling down the hill into the Midianite camp. And what did it do? It flattened the tent. But what's even more interesting, dreams are weird. His comrade seems to know what this means. He's like, oh, that's easy. It means Gideon, Gideon, he's, he's going he's gonna to whoop us tonight, okay? He's given, given us into, into his hands. We're going we're gonna to all perish. We're going to be defeated, and it's a good thing that, that I was not asked about what this bread dream meant. Can we just go there a second? We love Google. We love to ask for questions on Google. If you do a Google search, what does it mean to dream about bread? Um, which is probably what I would do. <laughs> if someone asked, I dreamed about bread. What does it mean? This is what it says in Google. Okay? A dream about bread is often a good sign. <laughs> it's a symbol of well-being. Of health, bread symbolizes good energy and uh, positive feelings and stability and fertility and love and family. But, but, seeing bread in your dream can also be a warning. If you don't respect what you have or are not thankful, bread can be a sign that you have to change. All right? Okay, all right. It's a good thing I did not interpret this dream because I would have just said, hey, um, buddy, are you thankful? Are you thankful for what you have? <laughs> this dream was not about being thankful, okay? God must have used this dream in the life of those two Midianite men to encourage Gideon. And that's what we see as a product from this. They have a, he has a bad dream and Gideon is encouraged. Verse 15, keep on reading. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its, and its interpretation, it says that he worshipped. He worshipped 
And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. What was his first response? He worshiped God, even before the battle was won. And I want you to also just notice this. I want you to notice the language that he used right here. He said, for the Lord has given Midian, the host of Midian, into your hand. The Lord has, not the Lord will, the Lord has, meaning it is already done. You're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. It's already done. Okay? Now, now I, it just reminds me of something that we did last week, and I, I brought this cross up just, just as a reminder to us. Because many of us, if you were here last week, you, you, you put something on the cross. You wrote down that dark valley that you were in. You, you, you wrote down things like, I, I'm, I'm numb. I, I, I'm, in the, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I, I'm in the valley of mistrust, the valley of fear, of depression. Um, you know, I'm in the valley of stress. And you know, the reason why we named our valley was not to dwell on that valley, we named our valley not to dwell on it, but, but to recognize what Jesus has defeated. And so, so when, we, when we look at this, this, these words right here, if we're fighting not for victory, but from victory, our response should be, Jesus has defeated fear. He has defeated, he's, he, he's, he's defeated this divorce that I've gone through. He's taken away my shame. He's defeated that. He, he's, he's defeated my anxiety. He's defeated anger. He's, he's defeated mistrust. Because I can trust Jesus. He knows what he's doing, okay? We can go on all day. He has defeated my stress because I know that he's for me. He's defeated my anxiety. We can be here all day just to know that Jesus has defeated this. We fight not for victory. We fight from victory, okay? Let's praise God for that, all right? And we lay these things down at the foot of the cross because it's not a symbol of defeat. It's a symbol of victory. Okay? We fight not from victory. We fight from victory, not for victory. All right? Keep on going. Got to find out where I am now. <laughs> All right, it's getting better. All right. The Lord has, the Lord has given the host of meeting into your hand. Okay? Verse 16. Get into the battle. And he divided the 300 men into companies. And he put trumpets in the hands of all and empty jars with torches inside. Now, once again, this battle plan does not make sense. And I brought with me my jar and my torch. Because what do you see missing? We've got trumpets. We have a torch. We've got jars. The thing that we're missing is a weapon, a sword. Or how about, how about um, our, our, our valley men, um, the valley church militia? <laughs> if you were at our men's event, um, man, we, we, uh, we blew through a lot of rounds yesterday. and We blew stuff up, okay? Um, these are, you, you're the guys that I want to I be with, you know? <laughs> If and when something happens, okay? Just, I'm just telling you, okay? They didn't have guns. All that they had was, was a jar and a torch and a trumpet, okay? Here, here's, here's what happens. Keep on reading. Gideon says to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets and also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon, okay? Gideon is getting his men ready. He's, he's just preparing them for this battle. Here's our strategy. Here's the battle plan. And just so you can understand what's about to happen, can I just tell you about this, this, uh, this thing called the trumpets, what they were going to blow? Because there are four types of... Of, of blasts that were given on the shofar during that time. They each had different meanings. The first kind of blast is called tekiah, and it's a, a long signal blast. 
a long signal blast, Takaya. The second one is Shevarim. It's three long sounds. There's Teruah, which is nine staccato sounds. And then there's the last one, which is Takaya Gedola. And this is, means to just blast as long and as loud as you can, okay? That's what they're supposed to do, okay? You want to know the word that was used here? It's the word Takaya. The word Takaya. And you know what Takaya meant when it was used in battle? It meant the king is coming. The king is coming. Shout loud. Blow your horn. Long and loud. The king is coming. That's what Gideon was telling his people to do. Warriors, can I just refer you as that? I want you to just remember, you may think that you are the least, but man, blow your horn loud and long because the king is coming. He is coming. Okay, we, we again, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. We can shout and, and, and blow our horn loud because he is coming. He is going to return. That's for Valley Church what we need to know. He's walking through our valley. He's walking into our homes. He's walking into our marriages, into our workplaces, into our schools. We want to shout for the Lord and for Gideon. For the Lord and for the valley. The valley for the weakest. Now, it's easy to shout for the Lord. But oftentimes, we don't shout for the weakest among us, do we? And that's what Gideon was was encouraging them to say. Shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, you may feel like you are the least in your family, the least in your community, the least in your school, the least in your job. But you know what God says? I'm going to use you so that I can get the glory. We're not just going to shout for Jesus. We're going to shout for the least among us who he chooses to use and redeem for his glory. So I want you to get your battle cries ready because we're going to verse 19. Here's the battle. So Gideon and a hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp. And at the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just set the watch... And they blew trumpets and they smashed their jars. That's what they did. And they pulled their torches out. And this is what they did. And the three companies, they blew their trumpets. They broke their jars. And they held, held in their left hands the torches. And in their right hands the trumpet. Okay? And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. All right. Did I surprise some of you? Yeah, awesome. Okay. Waking you up. This is what it's all about. Can I just tell you again, something, something that's really important to note. In ancient warfare, there was usually one torchbearer for um, 30 or four, uh, 20 or 30 troops. And, and so when the Midianites in the darkness saw all these torches, these 300 torches, what they thought was that we're surrounded we're, this, this, is, this is not good. We're surrounded by attackers. This is a brilliant strategy, okay? 21, keep on reading. Every man stood in his place around the camp. They stood in this place around the camp. And all the army ran, and they cried out, and they fled. And when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the enemy. What happened? The Lord won the victory. And they didn't even have to fight. They didn't even have to fight. That is our God. It it blows all human logic, all understanding. The Israelites were victorious. And we know from the end of this chapter, the enemy being defeated, that they again had peace in their land. I, I believe there is a lesson for us to learn. One final lesson that I just want to give you as, as we, we wrap things up here, here in this book of, book of uh, Judges. 
the lesson that we can learn from Gideon is a, is a very simple one. Because when you look back through this story, God asked Gideon to do some things that did not make any sense. Did it make sense when God asked a weak and scared farmer to lead an army against 120,000 soldiers? No. Did it make sense when he told Gideon that he had too many men and 22,000 of them went home? Did it make any sense when God caused 9,700 of his soldiers to go home even though they weren't scared just because of their drinking style? No. Did it make sense when God used a dream about a loaf of bread to encourage Gideon? No. Did it make sense when God instructed Gideon to just use jars and torches to defeat an enemy with no weapons? No. Here's the lesson. God's ways will not always make sense to you. God's ways will not always make sense to you. Here's some examples. What's God's plan for your finances? Some of you are struggling right now financially. What's God's plan? Give more away. Be generous. What's God's plan for how you respond to someone hurts you? Love them deeply as Christ has loved first. What's God's plan for having a life of fulfillment? Die to yourself. What's God's plan for being greatest in the kingdom? Be the servant of all. That's God's plan. We could go on and on. But what God is telling us is that he wants us to become weak. We live in an upside-down kingdom. The kingdom of God is upside-down. What, what advancement in this world looks like is not advancement in the kingdom of God. Because what Jesus did is he came down to this earth and he, like Gideon, became weak on our behalf. I want you to see this closely. Gideon, Jesus, like Gideon, did something that did not make sense. Jesus, being God, he came down to this earth. He took on our weakness. It says in Scripture that he experienced temptation just like we do, yet he was without sin. He entered into this world in obscurity, in poverty. That's Jesus. In humility, humble in appearance. It said, said in Scripture, there was no form of majesty that we'd even be drawn to him. If he were to come in here, he, he would probably have been, been like someone we would not have considered wanting to become friends with. He, would not, he did not do popular things. But what he did is he entered into battle on our behalf to defeat an enemy that we could never defeat ourselves. That, that enemy of sin and death and hell. He went into the battle in what looked like weakness, the cross, a symbol of torture, and he died. And it looked like, it looked like he was defeated. Just, just like Gideon looked like he had lost before the battle even started, right? You remember that? But what happened on the third day? Those angels like those 300 soldiers with the, with the 300 trumpets, blew that long blast. The king is coming. They announced from that tomb, hey, get ready because he, he's, he's come. He's back. He's here with us. Go, go tell my disciples he's here. He's defeated death. And because he's defeated death, you too can have that hope. You fight not for victory, but from victory. And so there's only two things you need to do. It's my encouragement. Walk in victory and shout like you've already won. Because you have, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Whatever dark and impossible valley you are going through right now, look to the King. Look to the King. I want to end with a story. And this is... Uh, this is one that um, was, was written about a Rwandan man in the 1980s. 
And this man was, was forced by his tribe to either renounce Christ or face certain death. And he refused to renounce Christ and he was killed on the spot for being devoted to Jesus. And the night before, he wrote this commitment and it's called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. You can look it up if you want to when you get home. But this was found in his room. Can I read it for you? He said this, I am part of the fellowship unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chintzy giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, popularity. I live by presence. I, I, I lean by faith, love by patience, live by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set. My gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, and my way rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, and my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, or ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. Spoken from a man who fought not for victory, but from victory. Church, Valley Church, do you want to fight the same way? Do you want to have that same hope? You want to have the same hope in whatever valley you're going through right now? You can. And that's because Jesus has defeated it. He went to the cross. He defeated it on your behalf. And all you have to do is live knowing that victory and shout. Shout like it's already been accomplished. Shout, I am a disciple of Jesus. I'm a follower. It doesn't mean just mentally assent to, oh, Jesus is God and he died on the cross. No, it means a life of obedience, a life following after him. Like this, like this man just described for us, it changes you changes your priorities, changes everything in your life. So as we close, I just want to encourage you, let's, let's stand up. Valley Church, we're a bunch of weak warriors. We need Jesus. We need him. And so I want us just to, as we end, let's just, just declare not how we feel, but what we know. And worship team, you guys are invited to come on up. Watch your feet. All right. But let's just cry out to God right now, knowing that he has defeated the grave, knowing that he has defeated every single valley we're walking through right now. Let's declare. And, and you can re just repeat this after me. I declare, my best days are before me. My past is forgiven. My hope is heaven. My hope is Jesus. I am who he says I am. Amen. Amen. I am only who I am because of who he is. This is a new day to walk in my destiny, my calling, and my anointing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's praise God for what he's done. Let's, let's just continue with a word of prayer and thank him for, for defeating, defeating our, our, our 
Satan and, and that we can look to him. Father, thank you that you are victorious. God, for us that are weak, which is all of us, God, we declare this. We are done depending on ourselves. We look to you, the one who has defeated the grave, the one who has power over whatever valley we're going through right now. God, it is a new day to walk and to shout and to praise you that you have won it. So Lord, I just want to just pray, pray for those right now that are walking through a valley. God, that they'd be able to declare not what they feel, but what they know. God, that they would claim the victory in you, Jesus Christ, over the valley that they're going through right now. God, I also just want to, want, want to just pray for those specifically that, that may not have received you, Jesus, yet as their Savior. God, as, as you say, today is the day of salvation. You want them to walk in victory. God, I, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, God, that they would reach out to you in faith, be able to say, Lord Jesus, would you save me? Can I just ask if there's anyone here right now, if, if you want to receive Jesus right now and walk in, in that same victory, would you just raise your hand? I'd like to pray with you. Yeah, praise God. Yeah. Anybody else? Anybody else? Father, we're thankful that we can walk in victory. We're thankful that we can declare victory that you have won for us. And so for those that are, are coming to faith in you, Jesus, right now at this moment, God, as they pray these words, we know that you'll save. So we just pray, Lord Jesus, you can re repeat this after me, Lord Jesus. I need you. I believe that you have defeated death and hell. And God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am weak. God, I repent of my sin and I turn to you, Jesus, who is strong. Would you make me your child? Would you save me and bring me into your kingdom? Help me live for your glory. And we praise you for what's about to come. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.